You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Super excited to bring you Kat Cole today, who is an investor, advisor, and board member for multiple companies. Previously, she was a Hooters waitress, and she transitioned all the way to becoming a COO and a president of Focus Brands, which includes brands such as Cinnabon, Jamba, Auntie Anne's. And I used to eat all this stuff, by the way. I used to eat all this stuff. It made me really happy. So, Kat, welcome to the show. How's it going? Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, I just want to talk about what you've been doing recently. So you're very, very active on Twitter. Specifically, I find you a lot on a lot of tech Twitter threads as well. And you've been very active on Clubhouse too. And then I was, you know, looking at the Pomp interviews, you're on Goldman Sachs as well, talking to them. So what is all this hanging out? What is the purpose behind this? What is it all leading to? I don't know that it's, it's much different than what I've always done. It's just leveraging different mediums and therefore reaching different audiences. But it's what it's all about is sharing my lessons and experiences because it makes it makes it all more worthwhile. I love helping people. I love translating lessons from one place, whether it's food or franchising or international retail or my personal life, into other frameworks that then help people interpret it in a way that makes sense for them. It's just, you know, these are new platforms or different audiences. So someone may say, oh, I'm, I'm hearing about you a lot on tech Twitter or in, in, on the VC pods, but I've been sharing these lessons for over a decade in, in the retail world, in the marketing world, in the food world. So some of it's just colliding with really cool new verticals and groups of humans. Awesome. And so I do want to talk about some of those frameworks from, so you had uh, no degree, but you know, you w- went to Hooters and then you constantly, and then you took a, you were making 45K or something like that at Hooters. And then you took a corporate job that, that brought you down in terms of salary. So you already had some of these frameworks before you kind of, you know, quote unquote made it right. So what were some of those frameworks that you used to kind of level up through your early stage career all the way up to maybe, I think you were 26 or so when you became a VP? Yeah, I'd say that's giving me too much credit. You know, in the early days, I absolutely did not have frameworks. It looks far more strategic than it was. I just followed what felt right. And I, yeah, I was making over 40K as a waitress in the late 90s, mid, mid 90s, really. And, and that was pretty cool. That's a lot more money than some people make even today. But I had a great opportunity to go jump and work in the corporate office. And that was not my dream. I didn't dream of working in the restaurant business forever, even though that's turned out to be a really cool uh, chapter of my professional life. But uh, there were amazing opportunities. I was opening franchises around the world when I was 19 years old. And I really believed in the company and where it was going. And so I was traveling so much, I dropped out of college, at least my first stint in college and was offered a corporate gig at the age of 20. And I just said, yes, you know, I I didn't have, I think most people when they're that young, certainly for me, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. I didn't have children. I didn't have a mortgage. And so it wasn't a big deal for me to say yes to making half of what I made before. I didn't have debt. You know, I had learned a lot of those lessons pretty early on. So it was easy to go from 40K to 21K, which is what I went to because the learning was my currency and the ability to do something that felt more professional 
was equally as rewarding. And, and ultimately, although I took a massive pay cut and it took a while to creep up the financial ladder, eventually I did so many cool things in those early days that once I started running companies, the, the money caught up. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. And so, I mean, you didn't know that you had frameworks at the time, but you know, intuitively you were chasing the opportunity. You weren't chasing the money, which is what most people do. So because there's a lot of technology people that listen to this, I mean, to me, at least, you know, when I think about logistics, when I think about physical products and, and that type of stuff, I, I, get, I get the heebie-jeebies, right? It's like, to me, it's like, oh, you just, you know, you build software, get product market fit, and then you, you, you just add marketing and sales and then boom, right? To me, that seems a lot simpler than all the stuff that you were doing with Jamba, you know, Cinnabon and all these brands. So how did you learn all these things? I mean, it, it just sounds super complex to me, right? So how did you, how did you make it very simple for yourself? Like anything, you know, I always like for the advice or perspective to be very approachable for people. And truly, like anything, if you start in it, it is simple. You know, you speak the language from day one. And, and I mean the language of the industry and the language of the level of complexity. So if, you know, if I grow up in the U.S. speaking only English, and then all of a sudden someone drops me in a country that has a very different language and culture, that will be difficult and complex and exhausting to even do the smallest of things. And the same is true when you compare, say, you know, SaaS enterprise software to brick and mortar, making physical things that make money day one. You know, these are like very different worlds. So in fairness, it didn't feel complex because I grew up in it. But as I started investing and advising technology companies and getting to, you know, understand the world of software, I really do appreciate how the nuances appear from both sides to be very complex, more complex than the other side. And so I'll just say, given that context, again, don't give me too much credit, but given the context that I grew up in that complexity, a way to navigate it was just working every job. It's very easy to understand complexity when you have stood in every square. Then it's much simpler to envision how everything clicks together and it becomes very clear and low stress to properly prioritize investments of time, energy, and money. Got it. And that makes a lot of sense. And you just mentioned stress. And I think the word I was trying to hone in on was pain, right? So it sounds like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you have a lot of scar tissue from you know growing up, right? There's a lot of pain and stress that you had to deal through where you're just kind of numb to all the pain and you had to, you kind of were, that's what made you able to kind of, you know, take all the the, the punches, you know, that you had to take leveling up in the, the corporate world to, to get to where you were, where you eventually ended up, right? Um, is that true or false? And if, if it's true, what's the story behind that? I think as you're suggesting, everything's relative, you know, relative to our backgrounds, relative to our situation. So if, someone just grows up coding and building software and and putting that out into the universe. And all of a sudden I said, hey, go run a shift in a restaurant. I mean, they would definitely melt down, <laughs> you know, for sure. And likewise, if I were asked to go do what they do, I would be like, I, I can't, like somebody, you know, someone else needs to do this. And so for me, I always, you know, I grew up in complexity. I grew up at a, whatever you would want to call it, a level of chaos and challenge and headwind. My dad was an alcoholic. Uh, I'm the oldest of three girls. We left my dad when I was nine years old. I became a leader and a father figure at home at a very young age. I started working when I was 15. So I've had responsibility for humans who are beautiful yet imperfect literally since I was a child. And so 
influencing people, managing people, helping people make the most of themselves in tiny ways, one-on-one and in big giant ways, like one to super many. I've been doing it a long time. You know, I started early. And so leading um, human driven business models um, was very natural to me. It was both nature and nurture. Like I think I came to some of it naturally, but I, I started having that level of responsibility for humans that have their own minds and their own desires and their own personalities at a super young age. So it made me more resilient. And I don't know that I would use the word numb, although I totally, it's something like that. You know, I, I built the muscle is maybe the way I would view it because it wasn't damaging. It was strengthening. And so I built this muscle to understand, oh, this is happening because humans, right? Just like hashtag humans. And so here's how I navigate that instead of, oh, I threw my hands up. I don't want to do this. Yeah. And, and that's huge, right? I, I think that the, the point here too, I mean, it's a lot of, you know, us from age zero to 18, a lot of our programming, how we are, that, that, that's, that's basically what it is. And I don't think a lot of people spend time to actually unwind, like how we, why we are the way we are. And th- th- that's perfect, right? Like you took on a ton of responsibility and also you had a ton of empathy too, you know, taking care of your siblings. And so I, I think that leads well into, you know, we're talking about customers, right? We're talking, whether it's tech, whether it's Jamba or whatever, it's, we're, we're always thinking about, okay, customer development. How do we actually make our customers successful? Well, we got to talk to them. And I think your, your unique positioning here is that you actually went from all the way in the bottom and then you, you learned everything on each stage. And then that's why you have such a good understanding across the board. Right. And that actually leads well into what I want to talk about next, which is leadership. Right. So what have you learned about leadership and creating great teams, you know, with all the, you know, companies that you helped? I'd say first part of being a, an optimal leader is built on learning what it takes for each of us to be our best human selves. You can't separate the two. Like there, there's no such thing of I'm super broken as a human, yet I'm really an amazing leader. I mean, it's changed the world, start at home. So the four mindsets, there are these four mindsets that as I've looked back, as I've distilled, as I've tried to think about what are the secrets to success and what are the you know, what are the things that differentiate the winners from the losers in the leadership world? They're the same things that help us show up as optimal humans. So it's humility, curiosity, courage, and confidence. And humility and curiosity are sort of nested together. They're different, but they're cousins. And courage and confidence, very similar. They often get confused, but they're quite distinct, but they're definitely bucketed together. And the individuals, as well as leaders who are most successful have found command over these mindsets and have learned to turn them up and down in any given situation and are very aware of which way they naturally index. We all lean toward like one bucket or the other. And just understanding that about ourselves and knowing that that is the version of us that comes out under stress and pressure, which is when a leader must really shine and step up and learning that about ourselves and then learning to you know turn those dials and keep those characteristics in the appropriate harmony, like the right song for the right moment, right? The right blend of those things for the right moment. I can put almost any leadership mistake or success uh, that you give me, and I can dissect it into those buckets and tell you where it was missed and where it wasn't. And I can look back on my own history and see where I, you know, I over-indexed on one or the other relative to what the situation warranted or commanded. And then that 
so let's just set, set that aside. That's foundational. That's like the construct of being an optimal human in any moment and a great leader. Then there are, you know, a few other things. One is just building trust. And still it's connected to optimal usage of those mindsets, but it is a thing in and of itself. And trust can be built in unknown environments with unknown people in a very short amount of time, despite what people think, but it can also be you know, lost just as quickly, if not more quickly. And I started opening franchises around the world when I was so young. I mean, I was 19 traveling overseas, showing up to meet a group I've never met and I am their leader <laughs> and we have to get a job done. We've got to start from scratch. Like literally the building's not even finished with its construction and replacing the first food orders and finishing equipment and training them and setting the schedule and interviewing and hiring employees and then pulling it all together and training them to do that. You know, like that's a lot of, to your point earlier of gears that need to move at the right pace and the right way and click into each other in the right space when almost no one has done it before. And we don't know each other. So if I make a joke, they don't know what I mean. And if I'm kind of aggressive in a moment, they don't know if that's just me or if I'm mad. And so having leadership responsibility in unfamiliar situations very often was a beautiful and brutal leadership mirror. And I recommend it for anyone, anyone who's a bit on their high horse and maybe overconfident. I often challenge them to go do what they've learned to do in a comfortable environment and an uncomfortable one. And people who are far more capable than they realize, same thing, but opposite outcome, you know, go do what you're doing with a different group and you'll actually see how much you really do know this and how, how good you really are. Got it. I, I love that. And, and, you know, I, I think for me, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, mental models and frameworks going on here, right? So I, I'm just curious, where are your sources of information? How are you getting better at all this stuff in general? Or is it all just like, you know, you learned it yourself? I reflect a lot on my own life. And I wrote a, a newsletter post recently just about that, just the power of reflection and what are my reflection models and how do I do it and why and how can it help other people? I mean, there is so much we can learn if we just pause and think about our own experiences and conduct an autopsy without blame, right? Just like what happened? What are the pieces? How do I dissect it? And what can I learn? And then having the humility to let it color our thinking so we get a little bit better next time. So that's one way I learn a lot of these frameworks. And when I reflect often, I notice patterns. And then I can put a word to that pattern. And that becomes a framework that I can then articulate to help mentor or coach or teach or advise other people. The next way is to find mentoring and mentoring moments. You know, when I grew up with my background, child of a single parent, alcoholic father, worked at Hooters my whole life, I, I wasn't super impressive on paper. I was a badass in the real world of business. Like send me to any country in the middle of nowhere and I can launch a business. But on paper, for those that are at more sophisticated companies or with more polished pedigrees, they wouldn't even take my phone call. And so, I mean, they're lost, but mine too. And so I had to find a way to learn from all the many humans around me who might not sign up for, say, a formal partnership or mentorship or advocacy role. And so I just developed this framework. Again, I can call it a framework now, but it was mentoring moments. Who knows or who's experienced what I'm about to go do? I'm going to ask them for 10 minutes of their time over the phone or a coffee if we're in the same you know, office building back when that was a thing. And... And I will learn from them in a very 
very tight, tight time frame. And if I use it and it's applicable, I'll also send them a note after and say, thank you so much. That story you shared with me really helped me be more confident in X, or it helped me watch out for Y. And what was interesting over time, as I had these thousands of mentoring moments, I mean, I would have five, three, five of them a day sometimes, is that certain people would come back to me often and I would go back to certain people often. And over time, that started to look like a mentoring relationship that also gave me accelerated learning. I was learning from my own professional life, my own humanitarian life. I was leading nonprofit work. Over time, as I started investing, advising, sitting on boards, I was learning from those leadership roles and I was learning from everyone else's life. So I was just living like multiple leadership lives and accelerating my learning because I've I figured out how to build my BS filter and know what to listen to and what not to. And I was courageous enough to apply a new mindset tomorrow just because I had talked to someone who gave me more confidence or courage. And I have a bazillion examples of literally talking to a person on a Tuesday and showing up to a meeting on Wednesday and behaving differently because of what I learned. And it just, I, I leveled up faster than a lot of other people. And so that all, you know, doing that, the reflecting on my own life, learning from other people and then finding patterns is what helped me really build these frameworks. And of course, I try to read, you know, whenever I can for validation or improvement on those frameworks or new ideas or new ways to look at things. Yeah, I think that's huge. Just taking time to reflect. I don't think enough people do that. Taking the time to have empty space to to think, right? Are you using anything special there? Are you just using like a notepad? Are you using like Rome Research or anything fancy like that? What does that look like? I, you know, it's gotten a little bit more documented over the years. For the first 10 years of especially my two most powerful frameworks of reflection, which is a monthly check-in with those who are closest to me with a very specific set of questions with the, you know, I ask them and then they ask me. It's a two-way street. And there are there are specific questions with very particular words that optimize candor and the ability to take action. So that monthly check-in with my team, my husband, again, though anyone closest to me, one ring out and maybe even two rings out, and then occasional skip level with a lot of people to check in. I call that the checking in. That's one framework in practice. And yeah, what, what would be an example of that? And then I would, it used to be in my head, and then I started putting it in notes in my phone and then putting it in spreadsheets to try to find patterns. And then the other practice is the hotshot rule that I've talked about for a decade, envisioning someone that I admire in my role tomorrow, asking what's one thing they would do differently if they were me. And then I ask, why can't that be me? Because it becomes so clear when I see it through their eyes and I take action on it within 24 hours and then I share it with my team. And the hotshot rule, I do not write down because it is, I think of it, I take action, I tell my team. There is there is nothing to sort of search and mine and find patterns. It is about real-time incremental improvement. Got it. So the hotshot rule, and I know we have a couple minutes left, that, that's where you just go to your team randomly and say, hey, like if you were me, what would you, what would you do differently? No, the, I do that in the check-in. So in my check-in with them, that's one of the seven questions that I ask. But the hotshot rule is I'm, I'm alone and I'm envisioning someone I admire that would literally be in my role tomorrow and ask what's one thing they would do differently. And for whatever reason, seeing my world through their eyes 
that one thing becomes apparent. And, and what's behind that is we're all blinded by our own progress. Like things that would be a big deal to a new person have become minimized in our mind because we have so much success and progress behind us and growth. And so today's biggest problem, if you're doing a good job, is probably smaller than yesterday's biggest problem, but it's still today's biggest problem, you know, or today's biggest opportunity and deserves that level of energy. And so the practice of being alone, seeing it through their eyes, taking action, and then telling my team that I took the action, that's the part where I talk to the team. It builds a culture of vulnerability. It shows that I have a bias for action and that I'm never done improving. And that's the kind of culture I want with the people around me. And then the check-ins are, you know, are, are a bit more robust and are a two-way conversation. That's huge. I mean, God, I wish we had more time. We can go on this all day. But what would be an example of the the first questions? Because I, I get a lot of, you know, texts from people, you know, each month's like, hey, man, hope all is well. You know, what can I do? It's, it's very vague, right? And then so to your point, like, what would you do differently there? For, you mean, when I've gotten? More so like when you're hitting people up with something specific, what is that? What is one example of a message? It's the first thing that you mentioned, right? Where it's like, if, if you're checking in with like, you know, your your friends or whatever, you have something very specific. It's like, hey, I really appreciate this or I really need this specific thing. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. So in the check-ins, there are seven questions. And so they, and they're monthly. And so it's tell me what's been the best part of the last 30 days, not broadly, but with uh, like in what we interact with together. What's okay. That makes sense. So this is with friends and, you know, team members. Friends, team members, my husband, anyone who is in my close circle, it's a way to make sure we are plugged in and we know how to show up for each other. So it's best and worst. What have you, what are you most grateful for? Again, last 30 days related to what we do together. What's one thing I can do differently to be a better partner for you? You know, I ask that and then they tell me and then they ask me and I tell them. And the key is to be specific. And if they're not specific enough, we probe a layer deeper and say one thing to start, one thing to stop, and one thing to continue. And that usually forces people into a more actionable response. Perfect. All right. We got two rapid fire questions, just one sentence answer for each of these. So most helpful tool that you've added in the last year. So it could be like a Peloton bike or an app. Clubhouse. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So great to connect and build community. Well, we got to throw a room. So that's one. Two, a favorite business book. My favorite business book is still, even though it's bigger than business, but is Give and Take by Adam Grant. Um, just the the mindset, the mental model to understand the fundamental connection of relationships and how we show up in relationship to each other is a, a dr- has a dramatic impact on being successful in business. Awesome. Kat, this has been great. What is the best way for people to find you online? I am in all the places. So Twitter, Kat Cole, ATL, same thing with Instagram. My newsletter is called Checking In. (laughs) So you can look up by my name or Checking In. And certainly I I try to engage on Twitter and on Clubhouse, contributing to rooms or hosting rooms whenever I can find a small window. Cool. Kat, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.